0: Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Uh Hi, everyone. I'm Susie White, and welcome to Episode 3. On today's podcast, I'm talking to Corinne Noyes. She's the founder of Madame Flavor, a specialty tea company founded in 2008. Now, Corinne was not a newcomer to the food industry, having worked as a FMCG marketeer for over 20 years. However, she didn't know a lot about tea or even drink that much of it. But she did see an opportunity to make a difference and disrupt a stale category. At her very first pitch of new tea ideas to major retailers, Corinne gained nationwide distribution and had to gear up to deliver those products in as little as three months. Welcome to the show, Corinne. It's it's lovely to have you on. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Let's set the scene for people who are listening who might not know what Madam Flavor is. Do you want to just quickly tell us a little bit about what's the business and, you know, what are the products you make?
1: This is our 10th year anniversary. Um, We are a specialty tea company, which I started in 2008. And basically, we blend beautiful flavors across black, green and herbal teas, using some Australian native ingredients to supply to supermarkets and also to some food service customers. This wasn't your
0: very first career choice. Can you take us right back to the start? What were you doing just before you started this business
1: and and what prompted you to start it? I was an FMCG marketer, which stands for fast-moving consumer goods. So I'd been with Gillette and most recently was with Simplot, which is I was actually working on the Legos brand. There I learnt about developing brands and product ranges that powerfully supported what the brand was about. Before that at Gillette, I really learnt about... Um, Promoting and understanding numbers and the profitability of products. So those two experiences over 20 years set me up really powerfully to understand how to launch a brand, how to develop products, but also a little bit more about running a business. So on the one hand, that was wonderful. The resources that I had to, you know, to work with the advertising budgets, the exciting known brands, the people around me, that part was also fantastic. What I found, though, over time as, well, probably someone is pretty opinionated <laughs> and, and also as a, a foodie, you know, my mum's French, my dad lived in India for many years. So the family was very into, you know, cooking and quality. And I just found that the, you know, commercial mass market approach to food was not what I would personally Love to buy or, you know, over time I just started to feel like I didn't really want to be working in that space so much anymore. And that's when I saw through helping a friend with some marketing, I looked at the tea um, sector in, in particular, of which I was only at the time occasionally drinking some tea. I wasn't a huge tea drinker. And I thought, no wonder I'm not buying or drinking this. It 10 years ago was a really dull underwhelming kind of a category with, you know, some bags of traditional brands and not very sexy flavours either. So I got very inspired around people deserve better and I know how to do it and I think I'm going to do this.
0: So you weren't an avid tea drinker and you didn't know that much about the category, but you still decided to have a go.
1: One of the hallmarks of an entrepreneur is a willingness to have a go even if you don't know exactly how to do something. You know, it's that saying yes and then working out how to do it later. I certainly did trust myself in terms of my sense of flavor and um, ability to taste and know, you know, what balance is and, and what a good aroma is. And, and in fact, the way I related to the tea is probably given my personal experience and also the, you know, the time working on food brands was this is a recipe. So rather than what at the time I think was, uh, you know, companies taking black tea and just adding a flavor, you know, we'll just add some lemon or we'll add some raspberry. I was thinking, okay, what does it look like? How's the aroma? What sort of ingredients would really work well together? So it was a little bit more complex and, um, I was really very focused in on the the sensory components. The fact that it is tea made it easier because the number of ingredients generally is limited. It's not like you know a, a pasta sauce. And also it, it's a dry product. It's something that um, has a, a reasonably long shelf life. So I felt that if I bought a lot of tea and did a lot of research and did a lot of tasting and made contact with tea and herb suppliers that I would be able to find my way through blending teas that tasted great, which I was able to. (laughs) I must say in some cases, you know, there are blends that come together with maybe just half a dozen iterations and then there are others that are much more complex and I've worked on for a 100 iterations over 18 months. So it does vary a lot. Let's go
0: back to that point. You were working with Big <laughs> Did you resign? And then what did you do the next day? Or how did that transition happen? I got pregnant.
1: <laughs> so, look, I had been transitioning out in the sense of I'd moved from marketing. I tried to find a part-time role, which um, they were really great around that. And I moved into corporate development. And then I transitioned into maternity leave and it was during that time that I had the conversation around this is what I want to do. I was still also doing an information newsletter which again which is one day a week and they kindly allowed me to continue and said that uh, you know I could always come back and do the three days if the business didn't work so I was really really lucky in terms of the, the support I had from the, the team at Simplot but really it took taking maternity leave and Having a lot of personal space, I think, to make the jump.
0: you've had a new baby and you're going to start a new mm-hmm. business.
1: you you do like your challenges. and And we'd actually just bought our first home and just married as well. Looking at it in retrospect, it was crazy.
0: and And how do you I mean how do you go about making the products? What was your first step, given
1: you didn't really have tea industry contacts at that point, did you? No, I didn't. So so firstly, the plan was this is going to be something I launch into supermarkets as per the work I've done for the last 20 years. B, I don't know much about it, so I need to learn, but I don't have much money. So how can you do research without that? I went to the local shops and I literally stood there with a little clipboard (laughs) and said to people, hi, I'm Corinne. Do you drink tea? I'm doing some research and I'd love you to come to my house and talk to me about it, which was actually a really scary thing to do, but the, the reality is people were great. And, and so I ran research groups at home just asking people, tell me everything about tea and you, you know, how do you drink it? What do you drink? What do you like? And I started to understand that, in fact, people loved the idea of loose-leaf tea but were mostly drinking paper bags because they were easier and, uh, and more convenient and that it was mostly women who were drinking specialty tea, and around the same time, my husband came home with a pyramid tea bag that he found in a cafe, and I hadn't been launched in supermarkets yet, and I just thought, oh my God, that is the clincher, because here it is, it's loose leaf tea, but in a convenient form. So I think that was the real turning point where I could see there's something, um, I'd done the research, then I looked at, okay, what's in the market currently, and I made lots of and graphs of the types of brands and where might there be a gap um, I did a whole lot of research just about what are the types of tea what are the countries what are the segments uh, you know which are the better selling blends where are the classic places they come from and then also I, I tasted a lot of tea so they were my starting points.
0: And Corinne what do people mean when they talk about specialty tea?
1: Traditionally people say, you know tea bag is like the sausage of tea, but um, so tea grades go from you know leafy, broken leafy to a, a grade called fannings, and then an actual grade called dust, which is the well it's literally like tea dust. It's tiny dusty pieces. Fannings is just one size up from there, and clearly that is not leafy grade tea and therefore not specialty tea. So they're the three key definers from from my perspective.
0: And why were you so excited about finding this pyramid tea bag? What does that offer consumers?
1: so the, so the pyramid is designed to maximize the infusion of longer leaf tea. With paper tea bags, the way that that whole production process is set up, you can only use small fannings style tea because they need to have sort of even particulates to run through the machine. So, until the pyramid the only way to infuse larger leaf tea was with a teapot and teapots you know it takes a bit of energy even though people love it it takes energy you've got to use it you've got to wash it all of that stuff so the pyramid is like a, a little mini teapot it's the shape of it and the larger area of it allows the tea leaves to get exposed to the water and to infuse properly the other thing that's great about it is you can see what you're drinking So for me, there was something about a tea bag being like, you know, you wouldn't eat a, I don't know, you wouldn't eat a a pie with the paper bag still on it. Like it's just a kind of odd concept to have the thing you're consuming be in a bag. So to, to suddenly be able to see the leaf and then, you know, if it was green and jasmine to see the jasmine flowers as well as the leaf or if it's mint to see the beautiful mint leaves, it adds a whole other dimension to the experience.
0: It's time to take a quick break now. And hey, grab a cup of tea if you need one. When we come back, how Corinne took a lot of homework, a great sales pitch and a winning idea to the major Australian retailers and got big results. Hey everyone, just a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible. It's the Food Innovation Centre at Monash University. They can help you fast-track and de-risk your new products in the Australian market or export markets, like China. Did you know that only 1 in 10 food and beverage products survive the first year of launch? That means 9 out of 10 fail. If you'd like to be one of the businesses that gets it right, the Food Innovation Centre at Monash can help. They can design and bring your new product ideas to life with rapid design and prototyping, and help you understand your shopper better and product performance on-shelf. They can also get you connected to build a network with like-minded businesses. Check them out at www.foodinnovationcenter.com and see how they can help grow your business through innovation. Hey, welcome back to Eat, Drink, Innovate. I'm Susie White. So... After a period of huge personal upheaval, Corinne has dived into starting a tea business. She's done her homework, she understands the category and the competitors, and she thinks she's got a pretty unique product offer. So I asked her,
1: how did she turn that idea into a reality? Getting clear on the brand side of things was one. So what what would this brand be called and what would it look like and feel like and um you know, if so I saw an opportunity in that more feminine brand space because most of the existing brands were more masculine, uh, a more contemporary space because most of the existing brands were more traditional, and and in terms of the name, I knew it needed to have a really powerful name that could ultimately become a global brand. And then on the product side, I thought I need to develop a small range of the key tea types with some little contemporary twists You know, and I already loved Australian native bush foods. Could I introduce some of those? So, for example, Earl Grey traditionally has bergamot, which is a citrus peel in it. And I thought lemon myrtle, which is a beautiful Australian citrus leaf. What would happen if I put a little bit of that in? which I did and it was fantastic. So there was a lot of experimenting with herbs and teas that I just bought locally in my kitchen, just thought, okay, what if I put this much and this much, what will happen and how's it going to taste? And then recording on sheets the results. And and so then it was really just a matter of pulling all of those elements together into a presentation and trying to get an appointment with the supermarkets. So at this point, I'm still in the spare room. My daughter's probably just over one. I've turned the research with the local shoppers into beautiful spreadsheets and charts. I have some packed designs with the brand name in the presentation. A whole lot of numbers around this is how much I think it will sell and therefore grow your tea sales, Mr. Supermarket Buyer, and quotes from people around their liking of the idea. I managed to get the buyer's contacts at Louisiana Coles, made phone calls. I knew I'd only have about 30 seconds, and so my best chance was to talk about where I'd come from, which gave me some legitimacy, but also that I knew the category was flat, and I thought this unique tea could grow it, and I got a meeting.
0: So wait a minute. You're pitching to Coles and Woolworths, do you even have a product to show them at this time?
1: Um at this point I had done the blending in Australia of our basic English breakfast, of the grey, which we called grey deluxe, uh, of the green jasmine pear and the saltridge chai. So I'd done local bench tops, I had the look of the packaging. I had also made contact with potential suppliers and packers, which I decided would not be something I would try to do myself. And my parents actually met and married and lived for several years in Sri Lanka, which is also the home of... You know the world's best, I would argue, colonial style black tea as opposed to Chinese black tea, which is quite different. So I was drawn to looking at the possibility of having the teas blended and packed in Sri Lanka. And so I had already done some um, investigating and um, had some phone contact and identified a couple of potential packers. So I had all of that, but I didn't have any actual product or anything produced or anything like that. I had confidence, <laughs> a, a sort of probably slightly foolish level of confidence and um, got on the plane and, and went to see the buyer and he said to me, I like it, a couple of small modifications and then you need to be able to get it to me in the next, I think it was about three months and we'll take it.
0: Wow. So they bought it. They wanted it. And you only had three months to get it all up and running?
1: Yes, so then it was the crazy town of go home, tell my husband that I would need to go to Sri Lanka to oversee the production and go to the bank and say, it looks like we've got a yes, can you please lend us some money?
0: And did you just have to supply, say, like 20 stores? Was it a state trial or was this national distribution in every store Australia-wide?
1: Yes, this was national, as in it was at least 500 stores. For me, having developed and launched products a lot of my previous life, that I think that's the thing that kept me from not getting overwhelmed because if you hadn't done that, it would be ridiculous. I still can't believe you weren't overwhelmed. But <laughs> that is terrific. <laughs> <laughs> I was so, excited, particularly when uh, the first oil came through on the fax machine in the spare room. <laughs> that was uh, That was one of the defining moments for me.
0: And what are your friends and family saying at this point?
1: People were mostly excited. There wasn't much sort of naysaying or, oh, be careful. I just felt very, very sure somewhere, some strange place inside me that yeah. I could do this and that it would work.
0: And it did. I mean, the retailers accepted it. I mean, how did that moment feel?
1: So just um, feeling really deeply satisfied that I delivered something that I believed was a lot, was just light years better in terms of consumer experience versus what was there and it had been accepted uh, because it just did make sense and it was a real breakthrough at the time and when you look at the tea category now, you know, us launching the Madame Flavor brand and tea pyramids into the Australian market was really a, a catalyst for, many brands to either bring more innovative products that they had overseas to Australia and or for more innovative brands from overseas to come to Australia because it's a completely different category now. So let's talk about the
0: brand itself a little bit. Are you Madam Flavor? Are you the personification of the brand?
1: No, but it has been an interesting conversation over the years where often people, you know, they are like, Oh! Madam Flavour, oh my god, you're Madame Flavor. Yeah, you know, they get really excited or or ask for my autograph or funny stuff like that. But um, so I'm I'm not and was never Madame Flavour, but she does represent I, I used to think of it as she's some kind of like almost ideal woman that I would like to aspire to. So so Madame in, in French, Madame um, just means, because my mum's French, just means uh, a married woman. And I liked the idea of that this woman was a slightly older and, you know, uh, worldly, had a wisdom. You know, it was about the kind of positive aspects of a, of a slightly older woman. And then flavor, obviously, is about, you know, it just has to be great flavor. I, I wanted to make a connection with women and it really showed itself when I was in Sri Lanka for the very first blending and and packing and I was in my hotel room, the Goldface Hotel, which is in Colombo and it's where my mother actually first saw my father, so there are all these lovely personal elements and the packs are on the bed and I just, you know, I literally felt like it's my new baby and but I just felt then that there was something missing, like I wanted to speak to the people and again mostly women I knew who would be buying it and so I wrote a letter. And it was a letter that you know basically said, I've you know I'm in Sri Lanka and I, I I've come all this way and I've left my daughter Sienna and I've brought you know 20 kilos of lemon myrtle and mountain pepper pepper in my bags which I had, and uh, you know I'm so excited for you to try this. And so we literally I wrote a letter and and they printed them quickly and put them into the packs you know the the next week as they were packing. In fact, I hand signed a thousand of them because uh, I just thought that would be such a thing that would never happen in a supermarket environment, like you'd never expect to open a pack and have something hand-signed. And from that letter has come thousands and thousands of, I mean literally tens of thousands of emails as well as physical letters to this Dear Madam Flavor um, expressing either just how much they love the tea or, you know, deeper things like, how it got them through a, a difficult time or a time where they might have been unwell or something to do with their family or it's, it's so that piece of it for me has been huge motivation a, a driver and, and gives me a sense of purpose
0: mm. and, and I think whether whether it was your intention going out as you say the just the tone and the language on the packaging is very personal. It is like you're speaking one-to-one with someone.
1: Yeah. And, and it's intentional in the sense of, for me, this isn't just about a business and a product. For me, it's not, you know, the, as I say, the, the drive doesn't come from just the idea of either that I'm selling lots of product to make money mm. Um the drive for me is much more about a feeling of giving something that's better, you know, a, 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 an experience that has the people who are drinking it feel a level of being cared for and and that energy has gone in to make something for them that leaves them feeling a bit loved, a bit a bit happier.
0: So what flavour blends did you end up launching with?
1: The launch was English Breakfast uh, Grey Deluxe, which is our version of Mel Grey, and then Sultry Chai, and then the fourth um, was the Green Tea, which was Green Jasmine Pear, Um, and that ended up being our most popular blend, the Green Jasmine Pear, and it came together very quickly. And tell me
0: about the travelling to the tea estates. Do you have to do much travelling and
1: what do you think of it? I love it. I mean, I love travelling anyway. So, uh, you know, I was in China last week where we um, buy some white tea from Fujian province, Fuding County, which is like the home of white tea. And it's, you know, there's the China that you might imagine in terms of cities, et cetera, but then there's this whole remote misty mountain you know little places where they're cooking incredible food over a fire you know that sort of i'll be in sri lanka in about six weeks but i'm there probably two sometimes three times a year and um and that's been lovely and sienna my daughter comes who's now 11. she comes with me very regularly as well because we've been working with the same tea estates and packers from day one now we just know them very, very well, and it's a beautiful, warm, friendly thing when when we go and visit.
0: And when did you make it out of the spare bedroom? And who's helping you now?
1: I moved to a little warehouse in a parallel street to us, maybe three, two and a half, three years in, and then moved again to an office, a lovely office actually in that Gardenvale Martin Street in Victoria. The team is still. Small, we're only around 10 people, but I think the beauty of that is that same level of care and personal touch goes into everything we do.
0: And working with the major retailers now, sometimes that can have fantastic advantages, but also its challenges. How have you managed to keep pace with maybe their expectations of the degree of new products and innovation to launch and how have you known what to launch when?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question because there is no roadmap. (laughs) Uh, We've experimented over the years. So for me, it's tended to be from a, from an almost a gut feel perspective as a starting point whilst looking around um, at, at, at different trends and what's happening around the world. But as, as you know, you know, I think it's what is it, one in ten or even less new products are actually successful. So for example, an opportunity I saw a couple of years ago was around sort of dessert style teas, which hadn't been done here. And, and I developed a range of three of which one of those, which is our, uh, rooibos with mint chocolate. Mm-hmm. You know, It has done really well and has been taken by Coles. So that would be an example where I guess you could say that was a one in three. And the other two are still on our website because what I've decided is that are um, a little bit too niche for supermarkets, but are still incredible blends. We now do those online. What I've started to do more recently or a rule that I've put in place for myself is that I look at our baseline sales on the green jasmine which is the bestseller, and we run research around concepts and will only consider developing and launching something that is looking like it'll do at least as well as the green jasmine. And Corinne, where could
0: people find your products to buy them these days?
1: So, yes, we I mean, we're in almost all... Woolies stores, almost all cold stores nationally. On our website, we do have a product locator now, so you can actually search for a particular blend in the area around you. Then the online store and and independent supermarkets, which use those kind of places. and um, We also have a a growing food service business. So if anyone's traveling on Virgin Airlines, you'll be enjoying either in the lounge or on board, Madame Flavie Tea, you know, Sofitel hotels in um, Victoria and Queensland, as well as the Hotel Windsor. So Corinne, you've
0: obviously built up a really vibrant, dynamic and successful business. And it makes me wonder, has anyone approached you and, and tried to buy your business?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. From, I'd say, probably about year three, we had approaches. I, you know, I always felt that that it was too early, you know, that there was more um, more possible for us, even moving beyond tea into some other categories, which was always my plan.
0: And, Corinne, that touches on my next question, which is, I like to ask how high is up for Madam Flavor? I mean, can it really be expanded into a global brand?
1: Absolutely. It's it's interesting. I've started to have a look at some different markets and as part of the trip to China last week, which was a delegation of women, a female entrepreneur is actually the first Victorian government organized delegation to really understand the Chinese market and, and entry possibilities. I really was left feeling like there is a significant opportunity for a brand like Madame Flavour in China, and so I really got a sense that that idea of self-care and needing some downtime is just in its early stages there. So, I, yeah, I see, I see, I see that as part of our future.
0: And for anyone who may be still sitting in their office cubicle, I'm wondering, Corinne, what advice would you have for them if they were interested in starting up their own food or beverage company?
1: There are kind of two things you need to do. One is to do some level of planning to understand the opportunity. The other is to just have a go because I meet a lot of people who are thinking about maybe starting something but I think, I don't know, as I, as I get older, I think life is a journey of exploring and, and you know learning and if you can see what looks to be a good opportunity, even if you've maybe got the worries and the doubts, I think just take the next steps and see where it leads you.
0: Those are great words of wisdom. And if people listening do want to find more out about Madam Flavor, your blends, or even get in touch with you, how might they do that?
1: Uh, They would go either to our website, which is madamflavor.com, or have a look at us uh, at Madam Flavor on Facebook and Instagram. They, They could also simply email us um, madam at madameflavour.com with any questions they may have and um, we'll always respond personally as we do to every email and letter that we receive.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today, Corinne, and I just wish you every success in the future with your continued expansion of the fabulous Madam Flavour brand.
1: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you Susie.
0: aftertaste the sweet taste of success thanks for sticking around this part of the podcast is when i think back on my chats with corinne noise from madam flavor and some of the secrets that underpin her business success in carving out an enviable place in the tea category with her premium specialty tea blends And today, I'd like to talk about Corinne's parting words of wisdom. She advised food entrepreneurs to do a little homework and then act on it. And I believe it's this approach that really contributed to her early business success. Now, many food entrepreneurs simply leap into a product opportunity. They've relied on their passion, sheer tenacity and resilience to learn as they go and overcome obstacles. However, that approach can sometimes feel like you're jumping into a hotted up car and driving furiously without the satellite navigation switched on and no real end destination in mind. By comparison, Corinne's first action was to look more deeply into a category that she saw an opportunity in. She interviewed consumers. She invited them back into her own home. She looked at the competitive set. She made charts and graphs about them all. And she checked out her product supply options. So in her very first pitch to retailers, her presentation was so comprehensive and so compelling, they said yes to ranging her new Madame Flavored tea products straight away. Now, what Corinne did is something anyone can do. It's called knowledge gathering. And it doesn't have to be hard or expensive, but it does require time and patience up front. A really simple way to do it is to find out everything you can about three areas. These are your category, your consumer, and your capability. Within each of these areas, there's some key information that it would be invaluable for you to know about before you invest a lot of time and money developing new products. So let's walk through some of the key things to learn in each of these areas. Firstly, to better understand the category you may be entering, try finding out about performance. Is the market growing or declining? How crowded is it with competitors? It's always good to understand your future competitive set and who you'll be playing against. Products. What types are already available in the marketplace and how much new product innovation is there? Is your ID really offering something new and appealing? Brands, how are they positioned? Can you find a unique position that stands out or talks to consumers in a new way? Sales channels, what distribution channels are products being sold through currently? And are there any other channels that aren't being considered that you might use? Promotions, how are products being advertised and promoted? And what level of support are you going to need to offer? Geography. Where are products sold and how are they distributed and shipped? This will impact your delivery lead times and costs. Pricing. What are the prices in the market and will they enable a good profit margin for you? Legal and regulatory. Are there any legal or regulatory requirements or restrictions that you need to be aware of? By understanding these factors, you can go into a category with your eyes wide open and make sure you're offering a really competitive product. Now, let's consider some of the things you might need to know and find out about consumers in your chosen category. Firstly, the shopper. Who is it who's buying the products? What motivates or detracts them? Now, your shopper might be different from your end user. Your end user is the person who's actually using or consuming your product. So for example, if a mother buys a snack for her child, the mother is the shopper and the end user is the child. You might need to find ways to appeal to both of them. Emotional benefits. What needs or wants does your product satisfy? And how are you going to deliver those to consumers in a desirable and meaningful way? functionality. This is about how, where and when might your product be used. Knowing this will give you a lot of clues about how you might design your product to make it better than those already on the market. By understanding your consumer better, you'll make sure your product offer is unique, appealing and something that people actually want to buy. And the final area to focus on when you are knowledge gathering is capability. If you're making a physical product, it would kind of be good to know formulations, what's in the product, what ingredients are used, and what product claims could you make because of these. For example, if we know your consumers want a healthy, natural product, can you claim no added sugar or preservative-free The next area to learn about is packaging. How are products in this category packaged? What design imagery and features are used? New packaging innovation can be a fast way to stand out and offer improved benefits. Supply. Who supplies the raw materials, formulations and packaging for these products and where are they located? Are you going to be able to easily source these suppliers? And lastly, manufacturing. How and where are products made? How difficult is it going to be to either set this up yourself or find co-manufacturers and suppliers to help you? By doing this pre-work, you can get a lot clearer on where the best opportunity lies in the marketplace for your new product, rather than relying simply on trial and error. So that now when you jump into that hotted up car as a food entrepreneur, the satellite navigation is switched on and it's going to take you where you want to go. If you'd like a copy of this list of knowledge gather topics, I've put a link in the episode three show notes or you'll find it on page 70 of my book. Innovation Feast create new product ideas to feed your hungry business. There's also an easy to use template to help capture your learnings. Thank you for listening to the podcast today and a big thank you to today's guest, Corinne Noyes from Madam Flavor for sharing her inspiring business story with us. Join me again next time to eat, drink and innovate. I'd love to hear your suggestions about any successful food and beverage startups, entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think I should be talking to. You can get in touch with me at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au slash podcast and also find there all the food innovation resources and show note links. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from.